Support for the Woj Pod comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love, and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this very podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website, so create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. Welcome into another episode of the Woj Pod here in Phoenix with the new head coach of the Phoenix Suns, Monty Williams. Monty, how are you? Woj, I'm well, man. Thankful to uh, be on your podcast and, and certainly thankful to, to be a head coach again here in Phoenix. When you wake up in the morning now as a head coach, is it a whole different <laughs> burden? Like, what do I got to get to today? Because especially when you take over, there's yeah. lots of things you've got to. Yeah. But is there a different weight on you in the morning when it's head coach? It is because I have to not only be responsible for the the leadership of the team, um, my role is also to provide for assistant coaches and their wives um, opportunities for them to be successful and get their kids set up and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and it's important stuff that we have to do, and, and it's a privilege to do that. And at the same time, I'm dealing with a lot of guys who want jobs. And the toughest part about coaching that we don't talk about is having to cut players that work their tails off but just aren't good enough and tell guys no uh, that I can't offer them a job and so I've been doing that you know thankfully I'm in this position uh, to be a head coach but you know a lot of my time is talking to a lot of coaches and really qualified guys who could help your staff but I had already targeted a number of guys, a few guys that I wanted to come here to Phoenix. And so that part has taken up a lot of my time. And then just getting my family situated. You know, they're, they're still in Jersey, so I'm going to get them down here in June. And But that's all good stuff. People knew you, you interviewed, you, you met a couple times with the Lakers, you met a couple times with the Suns. And in the end, you decide to go to Phoenix the questions that you had to ask Robert Sarver, the answers you needed from him based on the body of work and what had preceded you, you're the fifth coach in five years there. What did you need to know from him? What were the questions that you had to resolve in your mind before you would take that job? For me, it was always about us having a partnership. And that was the thing that Mr. Sarver conveyed to me in our conversations. And we, we had really good conversations, not just about basketball. We talked about family. We talked about the history of the team. Uh, we talked about our personal issues that we've dealt with in our families. You know, he had a tragic situation with his son. My situation with my family is, you know, unfortunately well publicized. And so we talked a lot about life. But then when it got down to 
the things that were going to make it a partnership for us, both of us had to be on the same page. And we both agreed that we wanted to work together in a certain way. And at the end of the day, I never lost sight of the fact that it's his team. And, you know, these jobs don't belong to the head coaches in the league. We're stewards over it, you know. But I think the thing that impressed me more than anything was when we had those tough talks, he didn't shy away from it. He didn't blame. He never threw anybody under the bus one time. He took ownership. And when he asked me tough questions about my past, I tried to do the same. And so we both kind of, I think we feel like we're in the same spot. Because I know that hes he wants it badly, and I have a lot to prove as a coach. And so I feel like it's an alignment between myself and James and Mr. Sarver that can hopefully be really successful here. For a head coach, when you say a partnership, it's easy, you know, in May and June in the off season, <laughs> right? There's no losing streaks. Yeah. There's no fourth quarter leads yeah. blown. Robert has shown to be very emotional, and he'll come into the coach's room. He'll come out on the practice floor at times. Like you said, it's his team, right? Yeah. And different styles are. But is there, like, some lines, and you sit down with James Jones, your GM, and you sit down with Robert, and you say, here are just some things that I can't have as a head coach. Do you have to do it like that? I think you have to be clear about your vision. And I, I laid out what I feel like is the best way to lead these young guys to another level and another level and, and so forth. And he agreed with that. And so that's all I can go off of. And, you know, not one time did he say, you know, I don't like that or anything like that. I think we are building trust right now. And all you can do in any relationship is build equity. At some point, I'm going to have to pull from that equity. And if we have the relationship that I believe we will have, the trust will be there. And so, yeah, we both laid out visions. He laid out his vision. I laid out mine. And there were things that aligned. And then there were things that were different that we both agree that we could learn from each other. And so for me, um, not only did he hire me and commit to me with the years and, and the finances, uh, our visions about this team going forward aligned in many areas. In this league, you've been in a few different situations, some better than others in terms of having alignment. You you were in San Antonio as a player, and then you're back there in the front office. You've been in Portland. You've been in New Orleans as a head coach. The longer you're in it, and then obviously Philadelphia the last year, Oklahoma City, the longer you're in it, does it sort of always get back to if you don't have what you need at the top, it's very difficult to sustain anything on the ground floor, in the locker room, on the court, that you're just not going to win by accident. Sure. Right? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Ownership and the leadership of your ownership is key, and we've seen that in San Antonio with the Holt family. I've been really blessed to be able to spend time with the Patriots and and learn from Jack Easterby, who's now with the Texans. And I've, I've watched the Kraft family um, and how they are – in lockstep with Belichick and Brady. Um, all those guys are on the same page. They don't always agree. They have disagreements, but their success and their methods were a lot for me to learn from. And, and obviously being in San Antonio has helped in that situation there. But OKC is the same 
you know, having been with Sam and, and watched him with that particular ownership group, it does start at the top. And, you know, like we said earlier, it, it is their team and, and their leadership is, you know, part of what you have to adopt. You make calls, you talk to people around the league when you're investigating a situation, you're, yeah. you're evaluating them. So you get a sense of the professionalism of the players, the discipline, how they practice, what habits are. You know, the sense that I had gotten around Phoenix was it wasn't very good mm-hmm. and that there was not a foundation, a baseline of professionalism, of commitment. Is that what you found? Like, is that what has to, you start spending your summer saying, Hey guys, there's a new expectation to be a Phoenix Sun. Is sure. that, is that what you found? Yeah, I have to be truthful. And I, I think our, our guys know that I've spent time talking to a few of them in the past few weeks and they all to a man know that the professionalism and the culture has to improve. Um, the one thing I don't want to do is browbeat them on the negatives, um, especially the things that they know. Uh, they've heard about me, and so <laughs> my reputation precedes me, but I also want them to know that I'm willing to work with them through it because they're young. And, and I, I feel Devin, as an example, you know, he's had a lot of coaches. And if I was in his position, my head would be clouded a little bit. And so... I want to be able to walk these guys through the process of becoming a good situation, a great culture. And that doesn't mean I have all the answers. Uh, That's why I'm I'm in the process of hiring a really good staff, I believe, that can help nurture these young men because all of them are competitive. The guys that I've talked to, uh, Devin being the main guy, like that that young man wants it. And and we tend to – we all do this, I believe, with these young guys. The league is so young. We expect these young men to know, have all of the answers right out the gate. Well, if we're not telling them and also being consistent and showing them, how do we expect them to do it on a consistent basis? Well, this particular team hasn't had that. And so that that's the goal is to provide them with consistency. And... um I really feel like these guys want it. In my conversations with all of the guys that I've talked to, they really want to be good and someday be great. Monty, when you say your reputation had preceded you with yeah. that group, what do you think that reputation is? What do you think they're expecting or we're yeah. expecting? I think, you know, they've talked to other players, and those guys have told them, you know, <laughs> Coach Mon is pretty structured, and I'm big on culture. The word family is used a lot. I, I, I don't know why we use that in sports because we're not family. I um, agree. We, but we can have a great culture. Um, we can show up on time. We can work hard. We can share the basketball. We can defend and we can have a high care factor. Like those are the things that build culture. Some families don't have that. Right. So well, I, I don't. The other, the other thing too, I'm glad it's interesting you said that because like to me, first of all, the word team is enough, right? But like to me, like, Sports is the most conditional kind of love there is, right? You're not yes. good enough. We're going to get it. We're going to replace you because someone's better. Like, yeah. that's yeah. not a family's unconditional Families, love. You don't right? get to do that. But to right. professional sports, there's no right. more kind of conditional love. No, but that, and I always think it confuses players because you preach family, family until the day you yeah. cut them or wave them, right? And that yeah. Guys aren't, you know, I, I really feel like we have, and I don't want to generalize the whole league, but I feel like we've lost the trust of players. If you look at, players how they're traded 
um, how they're taught certain values and then in the middle of, you know, a game or whatever the case may be, guys get traded or it, it appears that way. If you look at the mistrust that some players feel about teams that have had them and promised them certain things and hadn't followed through, like across the league, there it feels like there's a mistrust when it comes to players and organizations. And I feel like we in Phoenix and many teams across the league feel like we have to do a better job of letting guys know that we are there for them. There is a business aspect of it all, but the business isn't some cloud in the sky making decisions. The business is people making decisions that affect other people. And I feel like it's a cop-out when we talk about the business. Because we always say it's a business. Well, yeah, that's that's a bit of a cop-out. It's people making decisions that affect other people. I think we could do a better job, and this is just me, of conveying the message that we do care about you. And for me, I'm probably most proud of that in my career, is having a number of former players text me all the time or call me just to say what's up or I appreciate what you did for me. I didn't agree with it but I respect it. At Quincy Pondexter, we played in Toronto uh, last week and got beat game seven. And I come out of the locker room and Quincy Pondexter's waiting on me. Like that kind of stuff means a lot to me. And it also affirms that I may be doing a few things correctly. Monty, in the, when you were ready to be a head coaching candidate again last year, yeah. after the tragedy, and then you went to San Antonio in the front office for a year plus, uh, but but even in the year there, I think after the first year there, you were ready. Didn't happen. You go to Philly, and then there's some opportunities. But I think maybe in the time where you're getting feedback from teams about either why they didn't want to interview or you interviewed, and you know, and I think, listen, I know there's jobs you could have taken that maybe weren't the right ones, but you're sort of evaluating the feedback of what people are saying. Here are the questions we have about you. Here are the things. We like these five or six things, but this seventh thing is stopping us. Um, were you hearing a consistent thing? Was it different everywhere? The, the feed was any of it surprising to you based on how they were evaluating your time in New Orleans? No, I didn't. I never heard anything that was consistently negative. I, I did hear certain things about being tough on players, not always valuing what they wanted to do and that for me was good stuff for me because I, I want to be a better coach I want to be a coach that players feel like they can be the best version of, of themselves around me but I I didn't hear that a ton I heard it a couple times and I, I was thankful to hear that because that's obviously something I want to improve on and also self-evaluate but not be too critical one thing we do when we're coaching is we tend to over-evaluate ourselves, especially after getting fired, and that can be a bit of a, a, a fallback at times. Yeah, I mean, I just listened to some comments. You know, Coach Beeline is going to Cleveland, and he's calling around talking to different coaches. And I think Jeff Van Gundy told him, like, you know, don't listen to everybody. Like, sometimes we listen to so many people that we forget that we are pretty good at what we do. I mean, I'm, I'm an NBA head coach. And I'm one of 30 in the world. I'm not 30 in a state. Like, I'm one of 30 in the world. And I don't say that arrogantly, but it is what it is. And I know that I'm, I'm 
pretty good at what I do and I want to be better. And I say that respectfully. And so, yeah, you hear stuff, but I don't think that's bad. I mean, there are guys who can't shoot. They want to improve on shooting. There are guys who don't pass well. There are guys who have bad character and they can't stick with teams. When you hear that feedback, you have to take it in and get better. And I feel I'm no different when it comes to coaching. Your life experience since you were last a head coach, the tragedy you've gone through, a different role as a parent. I remember we, we talked at Summer League a couple of years ago, and you talked about how much you learned from being in the mothers, <laughs> being in the car line with the mom, being around just the moms. Yeah. How do you imagine or think or sense you might lead differently or places yeah. where you're – there's a heightened sense of something now that yeah. maybe was different then? I probably – I hope that I'm more patient because I've had to be the last four years um, – Almost four years, uh, a little over three. And I, I think I'm more equipped to just look past stuff that doesn't matter. When you're raising your children and you're thrown into a situation, I was always reacting to something. And when you're reacting to something, at least for me, I had to be careful of my response because my kids nurturing depended on it. And I probably am more willing to allow people to help me. That was one of my flaws that I knew in New Orleans is just I tried to do everything myself. I was younger, more brash. I looked at it as confidence, but it was probably uh, arrogance at times, just not allowing people to help me as much as I could have. And so hopefully I've learned a ton of lessons through our trial and situation um, with the loss of my wife, Ingrid. And because at the end of the day, I have to, as a parent, provide the best atmosphere possible so my kids can be the best version of themselves. Well, that's the same thing I try to do as a head coach is to not only provide that for the players, but also for the staff and support people around um, the team. And so I've just had to do things the last few years that I, I didn't have to do before and when you're in a situation like that, it, it exposes you because it's, it's, it's your kids, you know, and, and I don't, I'm already going to have my own regrets about the way I raised my kids, no different than anybody else, but there's some things that I just couldn't screw up and I, I needed help. I needed people to, you know, lean on. And, um, I'm hopeful that some of those lessons will help our players here in Phoenix. Stop what you're doing and look down at your left wrist because our friends at Movement Watches have exactly what you're missing. Movement has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that we can actually afford and order right from our couch. Do your wrist and wallet a favor. Go check out their minimalist designs that you can have with no risk because they offer free shipping and returns. With over 2 million watches sold worldwide, Movement has solidified themselves as one of the fastest growing watch brands anywhere. I've been wearing their new Odyssey collection and I love how it's got a super clean and minimal design, but also has a unique hexagonal shape. They have tons of sunglasses too and offer interchangeable watch straps so you never run out of options for a new look. It's the perfect gift for anyone on your list and movement watches start at just $95. So you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break your bank. So don't wait. 
Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash Woj. That's MVMT.com slash Woj. See why movement keeps growing. Go to movement.com slash Woj and join the movement. I think you view coaching a team in the NBA as... Like, I think you very much feel like you're a program builder. You want to build a program. You want to have relationships. Not every coach, some coaches come in and practice is over, the game's over. We don't have to spend a lot of time sure. together. Maybe with a veteran team, it's easier to do. But with a young team like you have and the way I think you'd like to keep building it in Phoenix, that emotional investment in trying to build relationships, is that where it all starts for you? Like, like it's hard to coach guys until you can – so you can have that. You were around in Philly with Brett. You came in on the back end of some long relationships there that he, Joel Embiid, and I was just with TJ McConnell and, yeah. you know, different players, but you were around it in San Antonio yeah. where the relate, like, can you still have that in the NBA? Yeah, I, I believe you can. And I believe that's what players want. If there's anything that I have excelled in, in coaching, it, it's been that. My relationships with for, former players, even ones that, I was pretty hard on or pretty solid. And I think players want that. I think players want to know that the guy that's giving them direction and leadership really cares about them. I believe that time off the floor is important. I believe that when you can get away and break bread or have them over to your house or go to their kids' birthday parties or go to their kids' games, and genuinely mean it when you're there, I think it goes a long ways with players. And I learned that from my high school coach, Taft Hickman, um, Digger Phelps in college, Coach Pop. Like I, I've had that influence in my life. Uh, my, my little league football coach, James Westbrook, we went to church to get together. He was the first person, first coach to invite me to church. And uh, my mother and I started going to church and We've had 30 years of relationship, um, almost 40. And so it's a huge part of who I am. It's a huge part of how I coach. I want guys that play for us to know that I care about them on and off the floor. You said that you think that guys want it. And I think in the end, players do crave structure. Like young people, they, they want structure. Yeah. Like give me, give me parameters. Sure. You've had some time to go through your roster, talk to some of the guys returning. Was that a common theme among the Suns players? Yeah, I think they structure and consistency. You know, I'll use Devin as an example. He's had this will be his fifth coach. You know, so his mind is probably clouded with a lot of concepts and systems. And the one thing I want to be able to do with Devin is to keep it simple at first. And, and then that was a, a bit of a directive from the organization is to, you know, we need to have consistency with our, our team. And so what kind of system can we put in that can grow and become a championship type system? At the same time, the one thing, if not one of many things I've learned, Pop used a phrase at a, at a um, camp coaches retreat that we went to with him, you know, rules stifle talent. You know, the one thing coaches, at least for me, I have to be careful of anything in my program that stifles talent, stifles creativity, because the players that, that are in the league are, are creative. Devin, 
he's an offensive machine, and so I don't want to get in his way. And so that's why I, I believe spending time with the guys and talking to them about what they want to do with their careers is important. And then I can fit that into our program to hopefully make it better. Monty, there was, there's obviously been a lot of focus around the Lakers coaching search. You were a part of it. What did you find in sitting down with, I, I know you sat down with a number of people in that organization. What did you see in your visit with Rob Palenka yeah. once and then the broader group like the other, I think Ty Lue had the same ownership and management. Yeah. What did you see and hear from them? When I spoke with uh, the Lakers, the thing that impressed me more than anything was Miss Buss and her thoughtfulness and how that particular team and organization is really a part of her DNA. You know, when she talks to you about the team, she's not only talking to you about basketball. She, she really is vested in those young men's lives. And I saw that. Um, it, it is the Lakers. Uh, it's a traditional foundational organization slash institution of the league. And they, they have big shoes to fill. Mr. Buss was a trailblazer. And so I see the burden. I saw the burden that she had and she has. She wants to carry on the legacy of her dad. And when I spoke with her, that, that resonated with me. I was like, this lady is for real. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I've heard some of the things that have been said about her, and I, f- I really felt bad about that because I didn't get that. I saw a lady that really cares, and she really wants what's best for the players involved, but also the organization. And so, for me, I, I didn't have a bad experience with them. My, my talks with them were, they helped me to learn more about another team, and, you know, for me, it makes me better. It makes me more aware of the NBA as a whole. Monty, and the way that coaching has evolved and changed in the league, even from when you left New Orleans as a head coach, yeah. in this job, is there something you've got to be more, that's true of all coaches, you've got to be more adept at than even six years ago, seven years ago. What's changed about doing this job? I mean, I alluded to it earlier. I think for me, I have to be more patient. Um, when I was in New Orleans, I had Chris Paul, David West, Emeka Okafer, Willie Green, Jared Jack. I had big-time pros and vets, um, Trevor Ariza, Marco Bellinelli. Uh, this particular situation, the, I think patience is going to be key in allowing our team to grow but at a rate where I don't push them too hard. Um, I could push that group my first year, and then we stripped the team down. Then I had Anthony Davis and Tyreek and Eric Gordon <laughs> and Ryan Anderson. Um, I learned that you have to let those guys grow at a slower pace. Now, that's not what fans want to hear all the time, but if you push them too hard, you put them in a situation where they may not perform well, and, and, and not everybody's ready to win a championship. And so I, I think, you know, having this particular team, you know, we won 19 games last year. Um, we want to be able to improve every month, every section of the season. Brett Brown does a really good job of breaking the season down into thirds. And I want to be able to do that here, just see improvement every third and and hopefully in the summer we can reevaluate and say hey this is what we need to get better at 
but we do see a lot of growth in this program. And I really feel like in a little over a year, maybe two years, we're going to be in a position where we're going to be really good. And, and that's where I feel like I'm, I am more um, attracted to this situation because I do get a chance to be a program builder. Traditionally, Phoenix has been a free agent destination. Yeah. Players, it's West Coast, it's weather, it's a, you know, climate and a organization that until the last however many years here, it was very, you know, consistent, hadn't won a championship, right. but sort of had did everything sure. but that. And, and a great fan base. Phoenix has always had, it's a great NBA town. Sure. So it's been that. Does it still feel like, I always kind of thought a little bit like it's sort of like the Orlando, Orlando is sort of its comparison in the East. Like they could get free agents there. It's not New York or LA, sure. but, but it's, it should be at the top of that next tier. Is that, is that how you imagine yeah. this place that it can be again? It, it can be. I, I think the, one of the differences here than Orlando is we both have good weather. Um, but we have 52 years this upcoming season of tradition, uh, fifth winningest team in the history of the game. And I think that says a lot about, the history of the team and, and, and we do have, you know, many players behind us that are looking at us. Um, when you look at the, the banners in the arena, there's a lot of good players up there. And I think that gives our players something to shoot for. Now, we don't have a ring. We don't have a championship, but for me, it's like, what an opportunity. You know, I, I can, not only be a part of this, but we also are, we have some things in front of us that those guys behind us never had. The practice site that's going up in the Camelback Scottsdale area is going to be second to none. And I, I've seen the effect that a practice site can have on your organization. In New Orleans, I uh, worked in OKC and in Philly. Like those practice sites are like <laughs> Taj Mahal's and. Mr. Sarver has done an unreal job of planning and putting this thing together. I think guys are going to be attracted to that. And our program and how we do things here, I think, is going to be attractive to free agents and, and, and the guys we have here. I think they're going to want to stay and be a part of this. And so I, I'm really excited about that. And that's why having a chance to be a head coach again is a privilege, but also the opportunity in front of me is going to be really cool going forward. You said it earlier that, you do not take lightly the idea that you're one of 30. These jobs are hard to get. Yeah. They're hard to keep. When you're not a head coach anymore and you leave New Orleans and by any measure, people look at what you did in New Orleans and your final season there where I think there was a metric that your division that year was maybe the toughest division in the history of professional sports yeah. in terms of, you know, with Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. Memphis. Yeah. And you get in the playoffs, you lose to a Warriors team that was obviously <laughs> on the way, right? Otherworldly. On the way. Yeah. yeah. Like a 20 point lead. I remember that 20 point lead went about, oh. felt like it went about a minute, right? And you're let go. And I think you felt, okay, I'll find my way back. I built a track record and, and I think nobody expected you would not be a head coach again. But when you are out and now these jobs start opening and you and your agent, Spencer Breaker, you, Start evaluating an opening, and should I interview there? Do they want me to interview? Every one of these is different. I imagine it comes to a point where you don't take for granted anymore that you're going to get one of these right. because, listen, there's lots of there's competition, and and I think for you, 
you're out one year and then two years away from being a head coach and then yeah an unspeakable tragedy and now that pushes it back again and all of a sudden now you know there's people hiring who weren't around who weren't of course they were in the league when you were there but yeah but it's not as fresh to everybody yeah do you start to feel that and go oh man is this i'm gonna get one of these right yeah i I don't think i ever felt any angst because i again i i never felt entitled to a job you know i just i heard all the the talk about it and I'm, i'm thankful that people think that highly of me but i never lost sight of the fact that it's a privilege to be a coach in the NBA. It's a privilege to be able to be uh, the face of a franchise in part. And you know, there, I'm no different in that I saw other guys being hired, but I, I, I genuinely were happy for those particular guys and their families. I just thought if, if a, pos- a position and an opportunity was good for me and that was what the Lord wanted for me, it would happen. And if it didn't, I was at peace with that because when I first got into the NBA, one, I I didn't know if I was going to be able to play this as long as I did, and two, to be able to go right into coaching and be a head coach and coach on the Olympic team, like I never had that on my forecast. And so to do what I've been able to do, I feel unbelievably blessed, and yet there's stuff in front of me that I want to do even more um, because I have this opportunity. So I don't know. I, I, I just feel like not only are these jobs hard, and I, I get that, but they also are um, opportunities, and, and I get a chance to help other people. I'm not. I'm certainly not Pop or Doc Rivers, but in my position, I've had a, a great opportunity to help other people uh, get jobs and and or maybe steer younger guys in a different direction where I've, I've made mistakes. Um, I really take pride in doing that. If I, if I see a younger guy doing something that I did and I know it's not good, if I have that relationship with him, I'll tell him like, Hey man, you don't want to do that. Trust me. And I really value that. And that's a part of being a head coach that I, I get to do it from this platform. In my sense too, Monty has been that. I think people gravitate to you, and whether you said whether it's players or young coaches, and they want to. There's something to aspire to of, of how you ran things as a head coach, how you did your job as an assistant, how you made the transition from playing to coaching, and then people watched you deal with tragedy, and they watched you deal with the loss of Ingrid, the raising of your children without her, and. There are people in all walks of life who go through comparable situations. The difference is yours was very public. Yeah. And they saw it play out in a – they saw you have a platform that others didn't. And my sense is that those people have found you too and reached out. And what has that been like for your life and, and the time that you have taken to, to, to connect with those people? Yeah. At first, Woj, I was just like – to be straight, man, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. It was all thrusted on me. And when I spoke at my wife's funeral, I was talking to my kids. I wasn't talking to people in the crowd. I was just talking to my kids. And it resonated with people in a way that I still can't comprehend. Well, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And our situation... Uh, is public, but behind the scenes, I've been able to connect with people who've been through 
really tough stuff. And I now see it as an honor to at times connect with those people. I don't have a solution for them all the time, but sometimes if you can just talk to somebody who's been there and has a reference point that kind of crosses a little bit, um, there's a different kind of empathy that we we may have for each other. And I can't tell you how many people that have walked up to me in an airport or I've been at church and just somebody who probably wouldn't open up started to open up about what they were dealing with. And for me, I have this reputation for being otherworldly strong, and that's just not the case. I've had to get help. Um, I took a class called Grief Share. I actually took it twice, almost finished the second portion of it, but I had to go to Jersey, Philadelphia. But I needed help to deal with the grief and the hurt and the heaviness that I was, you know, in. Because if I didn't get help, it was going to not only hurt me, it was going to hurt my kids. And I'd never be able to coach again had I not gone through that type of counseling and that gotten that kind of help. And so there's a number of, of many, many layers uh, that I've had to deal with in that situation. And I'm not ashamed to tell people, man, I, I was broken and to a degree still am and will always be. But I've gotten help and I've had a number of people pray for me. And had it not been for Pastor Bill Gebhardt, who I talk to every day, who's like my dad, had it not been for he and his wife, Velma, there's no way I'd be where I am today. So, yeah, I've been able to connect with a lot of people. Yes, maybe I've been a source of inspiration. My kids have been that for other people. But at the core, it was a really tough time and still is. And I needed to get help through that process. How do the kids feel about you being a head coach yeah. again and all that comes with it? I mean, yeah. I share you with more people. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll give you a quick story, man. I This time around, I didn't involve my kids as much because I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know if I was going to do it as far as waiting for the right situation. Was the contract going to work out in the way that I wanted it? So I didn't tell them because I didn't want them to have a letdown. And so when I finally came to terms with Phoenix, I remember calling my two daughters who were at school. And my oldest daughter, she was just like, I knew it. She's just going nuts. I knew it. I knew we were going to Phoenix. And I'm like, that's that's typical Lael. But I called my daughter Faith, and I just called her. I didn't FaceTime her. And I could tell she was, her voice was cracking. And so I hung up real quick and I FaceTimed her and she picked up and she's running so she can get somewhere to just be by herself and to watch her face and to see my daughter break down and cry because she's so happy for her dad. I can't tell you what that meant to me to have my child feel that deeply for her father and want me to be happy and want me to do what I love to do. I just knew like this was the right situation. This was the right time. And my kids were, they had been ready, but this just confirmed that I have some pretty cool kids. And I'll I'll never forget that moment of being on FaceTime with my daughter and just watching her. And I'm just staring at her and she's just (laughs) like, dad, I am so happy for you, dad. I cannot tell you how happy I am for you. She just kept saying it and it messed me up. And so 
Yeah, there, there's a number of layers and a number of stories that I could, we'd be on your podcast all day. Uh, but to see my kids react that way really touched me in a way that I can't even explain properly. Well, it is great to see you back in the big chair, yeah. Monty, and uh, just been in Phoenix here for you know, part of the day and you can already talking to people that there's some excitement here yeah. about this. And so it's cool. Uh, thank you for jumping on. And I know we'll see you here. Uh, some of these pre-draft combines and some of these places that Absolutely. you're running around trying to figure out who, who you're going to take in uh, <laughs> June. So. A lot of choices. Well, thank you, man. You've always been fair. And um, I, I can't say that about everybody. You've, you're always fair. And so I appreciate that. And and to all of the people that have supported me and prayed for me, and, and it means the world to me and my family. So I just want to publicly say thank you to all those people. Thank you, Monty. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest, Phoenix Suns coach, Monty Williams. Remember, you can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, and wherever else you get your programs. Of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Movement.com and Wix.com. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.